Hello, Glenridge Church. Welcome to our sessions at Sandy. We trust that you'll be encouraged and equipped through these podcasts. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of Sessions with Sandy. My name is Sandy Pinfuren, counseling psychologist, and my goal has been to connect sections of scripture to pertinent sections of psychology. And I've done that in this series that has been called the ABCs, and now also the Ds of relationships. And today the topic I'll continue exploring is the topic that we started last week, the discipline of discernment. Last week we looked at how to acquire a type of outwardly focused discernment. In other words, that ability to read people and circumstances in a way that allows for us to detect just that little bit more accurately what is going on below the surface of a situation and beyond appearances. Psychology sometimes refers to this as a type of interpsychic intelligence. This week, we're going to take a closer look at a more inwardly focused discernment. In this instance, psychology and then Daniel Goleman of emotional intelligence fame more specifically would want us to refer to this as intra-psychic intelligence in contrast to the inter-psychic intelligence. This intra-psychic intelligence is the ability to read ourselves, uh, to read our impulses, to read our motives, all of these things, just a little bit more accurately. So let's start by recapping a little of what we looked at in the previous session. That will be our first step, and then we'll move on to the second step, which is to look at what Scripture says about inwardly focused discernment. And then number three will be that I will take us to a space of some pointers or guidelines, if you will, regarding when to speak and when to keep quiet. An art, a, a skill that constitutes a significant component of inwardly focused discernment. So first, the recap. You might remember that in our last episode, we ended off with a little recipe for discernment. Uh, a, be alert, B, be biblical, C, be courageous. The same recipe can be applied in the arena of inwardly focused discernment. We need to be aware or alert of what is going on inside of ourselves, and then we need scripture, biblical, to shine a light on those dark spaces within, and we need to have the courage to go through the pain of internal surgery, proverbially speaking, as we continue on our quest for discernment. We need to try and discover what our motives might be when we choose to speak, and equally, when we choose not to keep quiet. Remembering always, though, that the motives of a man or woman's heart can be very, very dark. They remain hidden from others, often hidden even from ourselves, but certainly known to God. And for that reason, we need to continue crying out to God that the eyes of our heart can just be opened. You know, there's a lot said in Scripture about watching our words. We're told to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Uh, We've been given two eyes to see and two ears to hear. And yet, we so often are ever hearing but never understanding or never comprehending, some versions say. We're ever seeing but never perceiving. We don't use our mouths and our ears proportionately. We have one mouth and two ears, and yet sometimes we invert that ratio. Equally, we have one tongue, and that tongue is surrounded by a fearsome circle of ivories, I think for a very good reason. And yet that despite, we speak as if we've got two tongues. Sometimes it's a forked tongue, awful, and sometimes just too much speak. 
So James goes on under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit to tell a little more about the tongue because he says, and it's round about James 3, the beginning part of James 3, he talks about how bits can be put in horses' mouths so that they can become obedient and then, as a result, their bodies can be turned in whatever direction we want to turn them. And James speaks further about ships that are huge, but nevertheless can be turned by a very small little rudder wherever the pilot desires. And in the same way, the tongue is just a little member of the body and yet can do great things, both of the good and bad variety. Having control over something as mighty as a ship or horse is a great thing. It's good. But having control over something as potent as our tongues truly allows us to be highly effective in cultivating the inwardly focused discipline of discernment. So let me move on by asking you a question. Has there ever been a time when you knew you should have spoken up, but you didn't, or vice versa? Or have you ever regretted something that you said or didn't say? I certainly know that I can come up with a host of instances where I have felt that way. So here are some potentially valuable tips that might help you to know when to stay silent and when to speak up. We've all heard that silence is golden. And some examples where silence might be golden is when, for instance, you are unsure of what to say. If you are confused about your own feelings concerning a matter, it's best to stay quiet until you are more certain. Because I'm telling you, more harm can be done by revealing false or exaggerated feelings than can by just keeping quiet. The silence is also golden when someone is sharing a meaningful story. Let that person just feel heard by your silent nodding and your sincere eye contact. I also feel that silence is golden when you actually do not know enough about a topic. It is said that a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. We sometimes can get seduced into believing we know a lot more in a given area of expertise than we really do. I never cease to be intrigued by those who imagine they can Google themselves into expertise and excellence when in truth their knowledge is actually paper thin. I often think of Mark Twain who purportedly said, it's better to keep your mouth shut and appear stupid than open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> yeah, something worth thinking about there. And finally, I also think that silence is golden when you don't want to engage in a fool's argument. In fact, scripture cautions as to be sure not to cast pearl before proverbial swine, as they most likely will just trample those precious pearls underfoot. Go think about this and what it might mean for you personally in the space that you find yourself. But in the same breath, there are instances that require us to speak up. We need to discern which situations call for our voice. And such situations might include speaking up for others who have no voice or are unable to speak for themselves for one reason or another. Your voice might be the only thing that saves and protects them from harm. I often think of vocal minorities that shout from the rooftops and bully and cow others into submission. To what degree can we keep our wits about us and be able to speak up in a clear, cogent and concise way and take a stand? I also feel that speaking up when you see a wrong being done and 
know for a fact that not speaking up, your silence, in effect, would be seen as colluding, which in truth effectively could make you complicit in the wrongdoing. More simply put, by keeping quiet, you could be seen as taking the side of the wrongdoer. And lastly, speaking up when you are asked for your opinion, please guard against finding yourselves in a kind of pharisaical fix where you do not want to give your true perspectives because you fear what others might think of you. It really does need for us to have our wits about us. But back to scripture for the final word. James, once again, in chapter 3, more toward the end, I think it's around verse 17, gives us a glorious little recipe to use that allows for us to determine the extent to which inwardly focused discernment is evident in the expression of our words. Let's take a look at what this verse contains, and I am going to call it a pygmy principle. I'm going to give you a mnemonic or an acronym or call it whatever you want to, because I often find such tools just help us recall the essential ingredients for the various approaches to challenges that we might encounter in our lives. And just a quick little disclaimer for those of you who are spelling fanatics and think that pygmy can only be spelled P-Y-G-M-Y. If you look in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, you will see that the less common spelling of pygmy is actually P. I-G-M-Y, which is very handy for our little principle for today. So in this instance, James's recipe provides some guidance for us. And effectively, James is encouraging us to ask ourselves at every turn, is what I'm about to say adhering to a pygmy principle? Let me explain. A is for authentic. I think in the ESV, James says, without hypocrisy. Same difference. Then the P in the pygmy is, is what I'm about to say, pure and peaceable. The I for impartial. Again, I think in the ESV, James says, without partiality. Same difference again. Then James says, the G in pygmy is a gentle. The M, merciful. The Y, yielding. And there we have in a nutshell a pygmy principle that you can use as a measuring stick of, I suppose, barometer as well, when you evaluate your levels of inwardly focused discernment. And on that note, I leave you with the proverbial elegant sufficiency upon which you can ruminate and reflect or more simply put, chew and digest. And I'm going to say the same thing, but in a different way. Go build your house upon the rock because you are hearing and then putting into practice. We, in many instances, have heard that it's not a pretty picture when a storm hits a house that is built upon sand. So that house built upon the sand is where the message was heard and not put into practice. Enough said. Let me end now by saying I do not know when I'll be chatting to you again. But until then, thank you, thank you, thank you so much again for taking time to join me today. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions for Sandy, please email hello at glenridge.org.za.
Your questions will remain confidential at all times.